Hey, it's me, Michael Anthony Giudicissi. Welcome back to All Things Billy. How did you like chapters 1 through 20? Hope you enjoyed Martin Teeb's strange and twisted journey all the way to Lincoln. Things are really about to heat up and change dramatically for Martin. And uh, you'll be right there every step of the way. So without further ado, here's part two of All Things Billy. Chapter 21. If Lily Teebs suspected anything about Martin's previous night's activities, it didn't show on her face. She and Martin sat on the portal in front of their tiny casita eating a breakfast of fresh fruit, yogurt, and granola. Teebs noisily slurped coffee as he looked for any hint that Lily might know something about Billy, and especially, and more dangerously, about Rosita. So, how was your little sightseeing expedition last night? She finally asked between bites of melon. Did you have fun? While Teebs was fascinated by what he believed happened, he was not ready to label it as fun. It was nice. I walked around to see the sights and talked to a few locals, he finally offered. Locals? I didn't see another soul on the street when you left, replied Lily, looking quizzically at Teebs. Well, were they nice? While Teebs could answer any way that he chose to, he took the time to carefully reflect on his experience and determine if the men he met actually were nice to him. They seemed to like him. In fact, they seemed to almost miss him. This fact had kept Teebs awake most of the night. If what he had experienced was real, and he wasn't totally ready to accept that, then he must have been in Lincoln before March 31, 1878, certainly to meet Billy and the Regulators, and definitely to woo Rosita. As his mind fixated on what he and the lovely Rosita might have done together over 140 years ago, he landed on an answer for Lily. Um, yeah, they were okay. This one guy was pretty friendly. I guess they don't talk to many tourists is all, he finally said. With a brief flicker of acknowledgement, Lily moved on to the topic at hand. Okay, so, what do you have planned for us today? I heard that Rudoso has some great shopping. Oh, and did you know that Smokey the Bear is buried in Capitan? I do know that, said Teebs, remembering Billy's warning to stay indoors this morning. Lil, uh, maybe we could just take in the sights from the porch this morning. Lily's eyes glazed over and rolled back in her head. I want to do things, Martin. See things. I don't want to be stuck in this dusty little town. Unsure about how to play his next move, Teebs sat back and waited for the next salvo. I'll tell you what, Martin, I'm going to take a shower. If you want some time to watch the cars rust or the paint dry or whatever else it is they do for fun in this place, now's your chance, she snapped back at him. Knowing that nothing he said would make the moment better, he sat back in his chair and gave her a thin smile as she turned and walked inside. With a belly full of food and coffee, Teebs focused his attention on why it was so important for him to stay off Lincoln's main street this morning. Picking up Bachaka's book, he thumbed through the pages. April 1st. April 1st, murmured Teebs to no one. Why does that sound so familiar? Scanning the pages, he came across the chapter that talked about the killing of Sheriff William Brady at the hands of Billy and other regulators. His index finger wandered furiously across the page until he came to the date of the deed. April 1st, 1878. Had Teebs stayed overnight in the past, he would have been a witness to Brady's murder. That's the reason Billy warned him about staying inside. Teebs felt a warm, friendly feeling for the young outlaw. 
who obviously didn't want him to have anything to do with something as heinous as killing an officer of the law. It suddenly dawned on him that he was free to go about Lincoln's Main Street as he pleased today, since the year was 2020 and the danger of being mixed up in Brady's murder was more than 140 years past due. With a flash of joy, he rose from his seat. Now he can make everything right with Lily and take her wherever she deemed not to be a dusty old tourist trap. As he reached for the screen door, he stubbed his foot on the boot scraper that he had never noticed until now. Falling forward, he caught himself just as his forehead whacked the door frame with a loud thump. Chapter 22 Teebs was sure he hadn't blacked out, but coupled with his two falls from the night before, this added skull bumping proved that Lincoln was now as it was in 1878, a very dangerous town. Through slightly fuzzy vision, he reached down to where he had dropped Pachaka's book. As he rose, he quickly noticed the same misty haze had engulfed the town from the night before. Confused, he walked off the porch as three men walked down Lincoln's main street, once again covered in dirt. The figure in the center was unmistakable to Martin, as he had seen his picture hundreds of times, Sheriff William Brady. Oh, no, 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 Billy, said Teebs quickly under his breath, understanding what was about to happen. Don't do this. They're going to want to hang you for this. Among the many casualties and indictments that were byproducts of the Lincoln County War, only Billy would stand trial for this crime, and he would be found guilty and sentenced to hang. If Teebs could somehow reach the Tunstall store before Brady, maybe he could reason with the boys and talk them out of the foolhardy plan. Notwithstanding the fact that he was about to attempt to change history, his affection for his new friend urged him onto the street. Brady, Hinman, and Matthews all strode confidently to the west as Teebs searched for a way to get in front of them. At each spot where he thought he might be able to get in front of the lawmen, he froze, not knowing if he had history with Brady and what might happen to him if he did. Taking shelter behind a small barn, he saw Brady stop off to talk to a woman as his deputies continued on toward the courthouse. As Brady tipped his hat and hurried back to his men, Teebs looked for the Hail Mary that would land him at the regulator's feet moments before Brady would arrive, but none was forthcoming. Just seconds before Billy and friends would cut loose, Teebs could wait no more. Ration and reason were gone. He wasn't in 2020. He was right here, at the epicenter of the war. If he didn't take action, who would? Reasoning with himself that he had no other choice, he ran into the street and screamed, Billy, no! In the blink of an eye, Brady drew his revolver and wheeled around to see the figure of a large man diving into the grass. Something flew from the man's hand into the grass as he went down. Almost simultaneously, the regulators rose from behind a corral wall at the Tunstall store and let loose with a furious fusillade of fire that shredded Brady and dropped him where he stood. Hinman was hit in the upper chest and leg and staggered back up the street from where he came. A cool, calculating Doc Skurlock walked slowly into the center of the street, took aim with his Winchester, and with one shot put Hinman out of his misery. Somewhere in the haze of powder and smoke, Matthews made a run for it and parked himself behind a wall on the south side of the street. Stunned but unhurt, he quietly took in the scene as Big Jim French and Billy Bonney raced to Brady's body. Get the papers, yelled Billy. Brady's gotta have them. French rifled through the pockets of the dead sheriff and came up with nothing. They ain't here, Billy, he said breathlessly. We ought to get out of here. This place is going to get hot right quick. True to his prediction, townspeople had begun to peek from their doors and windows, 
as a few brave souls ventured into the street to see their sheriff, now shot to pieces. The street is ours, shouted Chavez gleefully, nudging Brady with his boot tip. Billy leaned over and picked up Brady's Winchester. You owe me one, you son of a bitch, so consider this payback, he taunted the corpse. As the boys worked their way back toward the corral, Billy caught sight of movement in the grass to the east. Catching sight of the strange footwear he'd only seen on one person before, Billy walked over as Teebs struggled to his feet. Teebs, he exclaimed Billy, no less cheery than if he'd just won a game of Monty. I done told you not to come out here this morning. Teebs stared at the boy's face, unsure what to say. That Billy could be so cheery after just murdering two men made his blood run cold. Nothing in his books or the movies he'd seen could have prepared him for this. Among the various historian and reenactor groups that Teebs had found online, many people in 2020 were fond of saying they were born in the wrong century and would love to live in the Old West. Some even professed that they would gladly ride with the kid if given the chance. Teebs wondered to himself how many of them were willing to face the bloody reality lying in the street just a few yards from him. Not many, he silently decided to himself. You killed him, stammered Teebs. Brady's dead. Cool as a cucumber, Billy replied easily. Oh, Brady wasn't going to live much longer anyway. No one tied to Murphy and Dolan is. Teebs stared in disbelief at Billy as he saw a small trail of blood, Brady's blood, trailing down the stock of the Winchester that Billy had taken from him. From behind the wall, Matthews allowed himself a peek around the corner. He saw Bonnie talking to a large man that he vaguely remembered seeing once before. God damn you, Bonnie, he whispered under his breath, catching sight of his boss's body crumpled just behind him. Matthews pulled back behind the wall, took two deep breaths, and in one smooth motion cocked his own Winchester, swung around the corner, and shot Bonnie in his right hip. Ah! screamed Billy. Damn it, that hurts. Billy's rifle dropped at Teeb's feet as the young man fell to his knees in pain. In all of his life, well, at least his life in 2020, Martin Teebs had never handled a firearm of any type. Yet in the moment, he reached down and grabbed the rifle. Teebs saw a head briefly appear across the street from behind the wall, surmising this must be the person who shot his friend. As if he'd done it a thousand times before, he chambered around, shouldered and fired the rifle, putting a forty-five slug right between the eyes of Deputy Billy Matthews. Matthews fell dead, his life over before his head hit the ground. The slug blew out the back of his skull, and bits of brain and bone lay spattered around his head, almost giving a halo effect. If Billy Matthews was indeed an angel, Martin Teebs had sent him to be with his own kind. Teebs, as if he'd been in another body, snapped back to reality, dropping the rifle in front of him. Oh my God, he cried. What did I do? Billy struggled to his feet, still obviously in pain. You might have just saved my life, Teebsy. Teebs, in obvious distress, paced back and forth in the grass. Oh, no. I can't believe this. What the hell just happened here? He implored of himself, the memory of Matthew's brains exiting his head still fresh in his mind. Teebsy, we ought to get you out of here, said Billy. You just killed a lawman. And when you kill a lawman, Teebs didn't allow Billy to finish his thought. You hang, right, Billy? yelled Teebs. Yeah. You hang. Come on, let's get you off the street, said Billy, as he guided the bigger, older man by the shoulder back toward Juan Patron's home. The two men shuffled up the street, one out of physical necessity and one out of mental depravity. For a long moment, no one spoke. 
Teeps couldn't think of anything to say. He wondered what it felt like to be hung. Did your neck snap right away? Or did you swing for a while watching onlookers gleefully cheer your demise? The thought made a bitter bile rise in his throat, and for a moment, he felt he might throw up. Billy finally spoke. Listen, Teebs, I like you. We all do. But you gotta leave Lincoln today, you hear? They ain't gonna let this go, and I don't want to see you get hurt. You hear me, my friend? The words my friend disarmed Teebs. It was almost as if he had grown roots so far down in his soul that he didn't know they existed until now. Billy was his friend. He could feel it. While he was revulsed by how easily the boy took life, he felt a kinship that he'd never felt with another man. Tiny fragments of memories floated around Teeb's brain. He couldn't form one complete thought, and they eluded him as he tried to, but something told him that this place, this boy, this war was in his past, and in his future. A tear started to form in his eye. I know, Billy. I need to go was all the big man could muster before the stinging in his eyes proved too much to continue. Listen up, Teebsy. Get on out today. Get that wife of yours and leave Lincoln. Head back to... Billy paused while he smiled, looking at Teebs' ridiculous clothing. Wherever the hell it is you came from. Billy finished with a laugh as he dusted some mud off Teebs' shirt. Don't come back no more till you hear this war's over. You understand, amigo? I understand, Billy. I got it. Thanks murmured Teebs as his friend turned his head back to the killing fields. Teebs watched Billy hobble away, and just before he was out of earshot, he offered, Hey, Teebsy, <laughs> don't go telling your wife about Rosita, neither. Ain't no sense having two women who want to smack you. Billy's lighthearted laughter filled the street as he walked farther away. While Teebs tried to make sense of what had happened, a hazy fog rolled in. As he crossed the road, it began to thin, and as it dissipated, he found himself once more in 2020 and walking toward his casita. Lily was surely showered and waiting for him, never knowing her husband was now a murderer, a wanted man, and most likely an adulterer. Well, he reasoned, at least he'd have something to talk about at the dinner parties they never seemed to throw back in New Jersey. Chapter 23 Finding the casita vacant, Teebs made his way back toward the main house. With the remnants of this morning's breakfast threatening to reappear, he replayed over and over the sight of Matthew's brains splattering out of the extra-large hole that Teebs had installed into the back of his skull. Covered in a cold, sticky sweat, the big man made his way onto the portal and into the main living area. "'Martin!' exclaimed Lily and Darlene simultaneously. "'What on earth happened to you? You look like you've seen a ghost!' Unaware of how shaky he looked, Teebs managed to look in the mirror just around the corner in the main hallway. He had to admit, he did look like he'd seen a ghost. He ruefully remembered that he had probably just made one out of Matthew's, too. I'm, I'm fine, he said unconvincingly. I, I just tripped on the side of the road. Lily stared at him with worry while Darlene rubbed his shoulders. Before he could ask, Darlene offered, let me get you a glass of water. She disappeared into the kitchen. I was just telling the ladies about old Lincoln and the war, offered Dallas, who graciously had buttoned two buttons on his much too tight shirt this morning. This street was known as the deadliest street in America at the time. You can't imagine how many guys had their brains blown out right here, he added. The thought and accompanying visual made Martin wretch, and he staggered to find a wall to rest against. Just then, Darlene returned with a tall glass of water. Taking the glass, Teebs looked at it as though it might be a bad idea to drink it, but in one long slug he downed the entire thing, instantly regretting it. 
You really don't look too good, said Darlene with genuine concern. Would you like to sit down? Sure, was all Martin could offer as he cautiously made his way to a big armchair, trying all the while to keep the contents of his stomach in place. So, these are the most well-known characters of the Lincoln County War, proclaimed Dallas, sweeping his hand across a wall lined with very somber-looking people in somber-looking poses. This here is John Tunstall. I guess he's the reason this whole war started. This stout fellow over here is Sheriff William Brady, gunned down by the kid and some of his buddies. A lot of people think Brady deserved it, but assassinating a lawman from ambush is just wrong. Don't you think, Martin? Staring at the pictures, it was as if the men in them beckoned for Teebs to answer. Brady was a drunken prick. I'm not shedding any tears for him. Startled by his own words, Martin looked apologetically at Lily while she stared back both in amazement and disgust. <laughs> well now, that's one guy who's not on Team Brady, joked Alice. So, moving on. Darlene slid across Lily's lap to reach the picture behind her, her hips residing longer than needed to on top of Lily's dark blue yoga pants. She pointed to a beautiful woman sitting on a step holding a young baby. The woman's eyes were distant and hollow, as if she was waiting for something, or for someone that might never come. This pretty little thing here is Rosita Luna, said Darlene. The most beautiful woman in all of Lincoln, or so they said, offered Dallas quickly. And that's her baby, Martin Jr., said Darlene. And just as the words left her mouth, she was caught by the irony. Oh, look at that, she said, staring at Martin. What a coincidence. Lily looked strangely at Darlene and then at Martin. Teebs tried his best to offer a joking smile that just came off as nervous. Regardless, Lily's attention had waned, and she was hoping to wrap up the history lesson and get on the road for some shopping and sightseeing. Just as she was about to suggest it, Dallas rushed in, and she never married, and no one ever knew who the father was. Teebs clearly understood the implications of what he'd just heard. He did have a relationship with Rosita. He did get her pregnant, and somehow he did not wind up marrying her. With his world slowly spinning out of control, and with cold sweat pouring from his forehead, he stumbled from his chair towards the hallway. Martin, exclaimed Lily, are you all right? I just, I just, Teebs could not finish the sentence as he pressed his forehead on the cool wood paneling. The cooling effect and keeping his eyes closed seemed to steady the big man. After a minute, he opened his eyes and was face to face with another historical photo. This one taken a few days after Brady's murder. Teebs instantly recognized the men in it since he'd left them only a few minutes earlier. As he peered into their distant faces, Darlene came to check on him. Oh, she said. This one was taken right after the fight at Blazer's Mills. Buckshot Roberts got Dick Brewer in that one, but the kid barely got a scratch. Teebs looked closely and carefully at his friend in the tiny tintype when something caught his eye. Closer and closer he looked at Billy's right hand. If God himself had landed in this hallway and clapped Teebs on the back, he wouldn't have been more surprised than to see his copy of Sergio Bachaca's book in Billy's hand in a photo taken 140 years ago. A wave of nausea swept over the big man as he remembered the book flying from his hand the moment Brady was shot. Billy must have found it. Teeb's mind played on a hundred scenarios at the same time, but all coming back to the same one. He fucked up royally. And now the past and future might be changed. His stomach 
tired of fighting the inevitable, finally let loose and sprayed his breakfast all over the wall and floor. Teebs mumbled to himself, What have I done? Oh, God, what have I done? You just puked all over my new wood floor, Martin. That's what you've done, came the matter-of-fact reply from Dallas Jones. Chapter 24 Carl Farber sat back in his tiny seat as a plane glided majestically through Teharis Canyon, bound for the Albuquerque Sunport. Farber had spent the past two hours dodging the cough and spittle of a way-too-big-to-be-a-lap child seated happily on his mother's lap. As the kid hacked again like a miniature Doc Holliday, Farber craned his neck out to see the land of enchantment for the first time. With a teacher's salary, vacations were hard to come by, but he'd been saving for two years to take this one. This was to be his crowning moment. After landing in Albuquerque, he'd take the cheapest rental car he could find and head south on I-25 toward Lincoln County. Farber's dreams of literary immortality were just weeks away as this trip would allow him the time and vision to put the finishing touches on his Billy the Kid tome. Somewhere deep in his brain, he saw the families of Garrett, Ollinger, J.W. Bell, and William Brady reaching out to him with heartfelt appreciation for finally stamping out the Robin Hood legend of Bonnie and portraying him for what he rightfully was, a murdering coward. It's nothing, my friends, just telling the truth, whispered Farber to the packed plane. What? What did you say to my little angel? demanded the mother of the diminutive Doc Holliday. Caught off guard, Farber realized he'd been talking out loud and quickly covered himself. Oh, nothing. My apologies. I was just rehearsing for an upcoming speech. With a frown, the mother turned away as her baby blasted one last salvo at Farber before the plane gracefully touched down in New Mexico territory. Chapter 25 Come on, implored Teebs as he hastily threw his clothes into his suitcase. Assuming that Martin had contracted some sort of virus, Lily suggested they stay in the casita that day, allowing some time to recover. Teebs, however, had visions of being tracked, cornered, and shot like a mangy dog in his mind. Could Brady's deputies travel forward in time and drag him back to 1878? Were they out there right now, fighting through some space-time continuum? Would hanging in 1878 eliminate him in 2020? These questions all played heavily on Martin's mind as he realized his only option was to get out of and away from Lincoln as soon as humanly possible. I've seen everything I need to see here. It's just a dusty old town like you said, Lil. The words sputtered from Teeb's lips in manic fashion. Finally having had enough, Lily shot back, Martin, what's going on? This trip was your idea. Now you just want to up and leave after one day? Teebs ignored his wife's missive and quickly zipped his bag closed. Seeing that Lily was moving at a far slower pace than he imagined the hangman working at, he flung clothes into her bag with abandon and scanned the room to see if he'd missed anything that would leave behind a trail that a lawman from the past could follow. Let's go, Lil. I've had enough. This entire trip has been a huge mistake. Nervous at the frantic look in her husband's eyes, Lily fought no more and slowly dragged her suitcase off the bed and onto the floor. Martin was already out the door, holding it open for her, making it clear that the time to leave was now. All right, all right, don't rush me, Martin, said Lily, sounding more than a little annoyed. I don't know what happened to you out there, but don't take it out on me. As they rushed to their rental car, Lily caught sight of Dallas in the main house window. He gave her a questioning look as they frantically made their way to the trunk of the car. Damn it, I left the keys inside. Wait here, Teebs commanded Lily as he sprinted for the casita. 
Teebs looked furiously around the tiny house, but the keys were nowhere to be seen. He quickly remembered emptying his pockets, looking for a tissue after desecrating the Jones floor with his vomit. He hastily made his way toward the main house. Stepping inside, the big man made sure to avoid eye contact with the Blazers Mills picture. The impact of seeing Billy holding the book once was enough to burn it into his memory forever anyway. He scoured the living room, searching couch cushions and chairs before catching a metallic glint on a small side table. Just as he scooped up the keys, his eyes were drawn up to the picture of Rosita and Martin Jr. If anything, childbirth had only made the woman more beautiful as Teebs could not tear his glance away from her haunting, vacant eyes. Was this really his son? What year was the picture from? It was obvious that somehow he must have gone back in time at least one more time to procreate little Martin Jr. That thought wasn't entirely unpleasant, even juxtaposed with his legally married wife waiting for him just a few yards away. Teebs allowed his gaze to linger on Rosita for a few more moments. Now that the book was in Billy's hands, maybe this part of history would be changed too. Maybe there would be no junior, no more trips back in time, and no more of the lovely Rosita. The thought of that possibility made him a little sad. He reached up with his index finger and traced the outline of Rosita's face while he murmured to himself, Martin Jr., huh? Just then he was startled by a voice coming from behind him. Uh, excuse me, is this where we check in? said a sultry female voice. Teeps turned around and nearly passed out when he saw the unmistakable face and form of Rosita Luna, the Belle of Lincoln, smiling brightly at him. Wearing a form-fitting fuchsia dress, way too high for Lincoln heels, and a pair of aviator sunglasses, she was all sex, seduction, and sin rolled into one. If anyone was going to come from the past to fetch him, Martin was momentarily thrilled it would be her. Rosita, cried out Teebs before he could stop himself. The young woman smiled with a look of confusion on her face. Excuse me, did you say Rosita? She replied. In a classic deer-in-the-headlights moment, he didn't know how to respond. Was this a test? Maybe she really didn't recognize him. As he stared incredulously at her, she finally extended a long, slender hand. I'm Trish. My husband and I are staying here for a few days. He's into some silly Billy the Kid thing, and this was the only way to get him to shut up about it. She laughed a little as Martin carefully shook her hand. Teebs, um, Martin Teebs, my wife and I are staying here too. It's kind of a work thing, you know? Trish smiled brightly. But if she truly was Rosita, or a modern-day woman who was also flipping back and forth in time, she betrayed none of that knowledge. Well, Martin Teebs, it's nice to meet you. I guess I'll see you around, she said. She slipped her hand slowly from his and turned toward the kitchen where Dallas and Darlene were finally making an appearance. Martin played on her every feature. Could this be his long-lost love? Was she simply a modern-day doppelganger? This woman showed no proclivity toward running up to him and throwing her arms around him. No hint that she might want him to father her child. In fact, other than her amazing resemblance to the real Rosita Luna, this woman treated Martin just as every other woman he'd ever met, except Lily did. As if he were almost invisible. Fascinated, Martin's nerves began to calm, and he decided he should stick around to see if Trish was merely playing it cool, or if she was a heartbreaking historical coincidence. Son of a bitch, said Teebs as they slowly walked out to the car to explain to Lily that he had only been kidding and that he couldn't wait to continue their vacation right here in old Lincoln Town. Chapter 26 Welcome to Lincoln 
Arba slowly picked his way down Route 380 eastbound as he made the final approach to the town he'd seen so many times in books, pictures, and movies. The enormity of it took his breath away as he swung around a rocky outcropping and entered Lincoln proper. A few lazy tourists lagged in the middle of the street, but for once, Farber didn't feel the need to lecture them on their stupidity. Taking in the old courthouse, he felt strangely at home in this place that he'd never been to before. As he looked for a place to park, he felt no need to stifle the thought that had become words and was about to exit his lips. I'm here, kid. I'm really here. You lousy, murdering little punk. Chapter 27 I'm really glad you two decided to stay, Martin, chirped Dallas, obviously happy to have his rooms full. What the hell just went on, anyway? Teep sat quietly at the kitchen table as Dallas whipped up his famous banana bread for his guests. Since Trish had appeared and just as quickly disappeared, the big man hung around the main house to see if he could get a glimpse of her and see if there was even the tiniest spark of recognition in her eyes. Oh, it was just a misunderstanding, Teebs lied. I thought Lily wanted to leave because I hadn't been feeling well. She's always so protective and I didn't want her worrying about me. Well, whatever happened, I'm glad you're both here, offered Dallas as he swirled the last of four overripe bananas into the batter. All right, I'm going to find Lily. I'll be looking forward to a piece of that bread when it's done, said Teebs with a devilish smile. The big man was no stranger to eating, and certainly no stranger to sweets either. Dallas didn't turn to watch Teebs leave, but quickly offered, Check your bedroom, a remark which made Teebs snap his head around, trying to figure out how Dallas could possibly know that. Um, yeah, okay, I will, was all Teebs could muster as he slipped out the front door. Martin didn't, in fact, find Lily in the bedroom, but he found her quietly sitting on the portal, a look of amusement spreading across her face as her husband climbed the steps towards her. So, we're staying? Okay, that was a quick turnaround. What would you like to do this afternoon, honey, she said, as if waiting for an answer she didn't want to hear. Well, you wanted to go to Ruidoso, right? Let's do that. Maybe we can have lunch and you can do some shopping, replied Teebs. Lily was happily surprised by the offer and decided to take him up on it before he changed his mind. Okay, let's go. Just let me grab my purse, she said, and without another word scooted into the living room of the casita. Within seconds, she was back, beaming from ear to ear about finally getting out of Lincoln. Teebs was relatively happy as well, knowing that a happy wife did indeed lead to a happy life. As they strolled to the car, he noticed that Lily's ponytail was pushed to the side and flattened out as if she'd been lying in bed on it, but decided against saying anything so as not to spoil the cheerful mood they had both found themselves enjoying. Chapter 28 The night came easily to Lincoln, with large splatters of clouds streaming across the gold and red sunset. The town, normally quiet even during peak times, was positively silent as a cheap rental car drove out of town, heading west toward Capitan. Its occupant probably couldn't afford one of the pricier hotels or B&Bs in Lincoln, and so would make the 10-mile drive to the Lincoln House Hotel, which would offer clean rooms, HBO, and free coffee to anyone lucky enough to overnight with them. As the car cleared Lincoln proper, the sun burned one last hole in the clouds, pouring the last vestiges of light on a town that time seemed to have forgotten. Chapter 29 Teebs munched heartily on his third slice of banana bread of the morning. 
As the crumbs collected on the sides of his mouth and then dropped all over his pants, Lily scanned Lincoln's main street. As best as she could tell, not only were she and Martin the only two people awake, but they might be the only two people left in town on this clear, cool mountain morning. Thanks for a great afternoon yesterday, Martin. It was a really nice time. Lily's sincerity had always been matched by her sarcasm, but this time, Teeps could tell she meant it. Of course, my sweet. Rodoso's a cool little town, and those enchiladas. Teeps knew that commenting on food was always a safe bet when he was about to launch a potentially controversial conversation. Carefully choosing his words, he inquired, So, what would you like to do today, Lily? By opening a veritable Pandora's box of options, things might not go the way Teebs wanted them to, but nothing ventured, nothing gained. Well, there must be somewhere other than Ruidoso to drive to. I mean, you're the tour guide. What else is there to see? Lily's refusal to decide gave Martin cause to panic, thinking this might be some kind of trap. Oh, so much, Lil. Uh, San Patricio, Hondo, Portales, Fort Sumner. I mean, the list goes on and on, he said truthfully. Let me guess, they were all Billy the Kid's hangouts, right? Responded Lily with just a bit of condescension. Well, yeah, Teeb said almost defensively, but they have great scenery and great history. Maybe while we're out, we can find some souvenirs for our friends back in New Jersey. You think anyone in New Jersey other than you cares about this place, Martin? She said, immediately regretting the tone. After all, she didn't want to hurt Martin, but his erratic behavior since the trip began was worrying her. She'd have been just as happy to have left on April 1st rather than stay more days in a place she cared nothing about. But she loved her husband enough to let him have his playtime, at least just this once. Thinking the better of her answer, she smiled brightly at Martin and said, You know what? You're right. Let's go. You're the captain. I trust your judgment. Take me to see some stuff. Relieved that he'd at least get more time in the kid's hood, Teeb smiled warmly as he shoved another slice of banana bread in his pie hole. Lily disappeared in the casita to get dressed, and for a moment, all was right in the world again. Chapter 30 Farber rose from his bed at the Lincoln House Hotel and stretched his stiff and achy back. He exclaimed, while the motel's price suited his budget, the rock-hard bed musty sheets and brown water that passed his coffee didn't suit him at all. On his meager teacher's salary, it was the best he could afford, however, and so he vowed not to complain. Besides, with no one to travel with, who possibly could have listened? Rifling through his bag, he pulled out his old West reenactor clothes. As best he could, he had cobbled together an outfit that wouldn't embarrass a real 1880s cowboy too badly by visiting thrift stores and retail shops. Figuring that he might as well look the part of a successful Old West author, he slid the dusty clothes on as he sat on the corner of the bed. This wasn't the life Farber had expected when he was younger. He had fallen in love with school at a young age, which coincided with the time he fell in love with his third grade teacher, Mrs. Spence. She'd come to school with her huge breasts and swollen hips all tucked into too tight jeans and sweaters, and it gave little Farber a big Farber. He fantasized about her making him stay after school, then confessing her love to him, a boy of only ten years old. Day after day, he waited for her to give him the sign, but the wait was in vain and the sign never came. Nevertheless, the idea of teaching others things that he knew fascinated him, and as he entered high school, he knew that he wanted to be a university professor. 
He'd seen enough movies to know that these distinguished professors made tons of dough and had pretty co-eds throwing themselves at their teachers. This idea suited Farber to a T. As he graduated high school and entered college, however, Farber's single-mindedness began to fade, and he couldn't imagine another four years of school to pursue his doctorate. Graduating squarely in the middle of his class, he decided that teaching high school wasn't all that bad of an idea. While there wouldn't be any nubile co-eds around, there had to be a few 18-year-old girls that would at least stroke his ego. None of this had turned out the way Farber intended. He was a loner, in a crappy job, in a crappy town. He had crappy clothes in his crappy apartment in which he ate crappy food. When he could afford to travel, he could only book himself at crappy motels where he was always alone because he couldn't even claim to have crappy friends, or any friends for that matter. No, he had almost nothing except a deep hatred for Billy the Kid and a burning desire to set the record straight once and for all. He saw himself as some sort of an avenging angel, fixing history's mistakes and making himself a minor celebrity in the process. Where are my boots, he mumbled to the badly stained carpet. There you are. Let's get ready to head back to Lincoln and finish this book up. Slipping the ragged boots on his feet, he began to hum a few bars of These Boots Are Made For Walking and laughed to himself at the joke. Gathering up the rest of his belongings, he dropped the key on the desk, took a last sip of the now lukewarm brown water, and headed out to his cheap rental car for the ten-mile drive back to old Lincoln Town. Chapter 31 Martin and Lily sat on the portal, protected from the warm afternoon sun. Having arrived back from their excursion with no sight of Trish, Martin planned his escape into town to see if he could find her or any trace of Rosita. That was a nice drive, hun. Thanks. Hope you had a good time, he cautiously offered. Lily seemed relaxed and in one of her better moods, offering him only a smile in reply. So, I was thinking I might take a little more time looking around town this afternoon. Would that be okay with you? His eyes avoided meeting hers until the final word was spoken. If Lily was going to roll her eyes at him again, he didn't want to see it. Sure, why not, she said gently. After all, this is our first and last trip here, so you might as well get it all out of your system. Teeb's head snapped to attention as if he'd received an electric shock. Last trip? What do you mean? Primed to end this conversation once and for all, Lily jumped in with both barrels blazing. You don't really think we're coming back here, do you? She said to Martin's blank stare. I mean, I indulge your little obsession here, but this isn't my idea of a vacation, Martin. Teebs began to whine a little. But I love this place. I feel so at home here. You mean this place? She said mockingly. This place that you were ready to run away from a couple of days ago? There's nothing here, Martin. You've seen it all. Billy the Kid's been dead for, what, 140 years? Get over it, Martin. He's not coming back. And with that, the air went out of Teebs as if he were a balloon that had just been stuck with a safety pin. Sure, Billy wasn't coming back. But Martin was bound to see the young outlaw again, wasn't he? They were friends, pals, and you don't just abandon your pals. For the first time, Martin wondered if his fate was somehow to live out the rest of his life in 1878 Lincoln rather than 2020 Waldwick, New Jersey. He sat there, defeated, knowing he had an entire other life in some other time frame or dimension, and it appeared he'd never get back to it. He shrugged his shoulders and sighed heavily.
When he finally spoke, it was as if coming from a man condemned. <sighs> okay, fine. Can I at least get a couple of hours to look around? Can I just get that? Lily knew when she'd pushed him too far, and he was dangerously close to the edge now. Sure, go for it, Martin. Have some fun, she relented. Not wanting to be followed and have his alternate life possibly discovered, he asked, Thanks. What are you going to do? Before Lily could answer, she saw the strong frame of Dallas Jones appear in the main house window. He gazed out at her with a big smile. Suddenly, Lily didn't need to find something else to keep her busy while her husband gallivanted around some ghost town. Mm, I'll stay busy, she said with a smile as she kissed Teebs on the cheek and vanished into the tiny casita. Chapter 32 Knowing his time was limited, Teebs hastily made his way back onto the main street and began walking toward the center of town. Judging the risks, he decided he would try to go back in time once again to talk to Rosita and, more importantly, to get his book back from Billy. The problem was, he had no idea how he'd gone back before and seemingly had no control over where and when it might happen again. Standing to the side of the road, he felt a tension headache coming on. Martin Teebs had been known for nothing his entire life. Now, if he couldn't track down Billy and get Pachaka's book back, his name would forever go down in history as the moron who gave Billy the Kid the knowledge to avoid his own death. He began to rub his head, quickly feeling the remnants of the knot he got when hitting his head on the doorframe two days earlier. That's it, he exclaimed. Every time I fall or hit my head, I wind up back in 1878. Teeb's momentary excitement faded as the prospect and pain of running headfirst into a wall entered his mind. Not ready to try something so dramatic, he gave himself a few slaps in the head with, predictably, no result. Looking around, he saw a telephone pole that he brushed by with his shoulder, yet still no result. Teebs tried increasingly violent self-harm in an attempt to knock himself back in time, but the only thing he accomplished was to beat the crap out of himself. The big man checked his watch. One hour gone. Damn it! he exclaimed, knowing that he was running out of time. He stood on the side of the road, spinning in circles until he fell over from dizziness, yet still, no trip back in time. Lily's words echoed in his ears. Last trip, never again, and your obsession, as Teebs nearly burst out in tears, realizing he had absolutely no control over how to get back to his friends and his lover. Almost mad with frustration, he watched a huge, slow-moving car creeping down the main street. The female driver appeared to be 200 years old with skin like an alligator and could only have been looking through the small slice of windshield she could see through the steering wheel. She doesn't need any time travel, he muttered to himself. She probably dated Billy when she was a girl. Teebs laughed to himself at the joke and crouched at the ready. He decided he'd throw himself in front of the car, reasoning that her seven-mile-per-hour speed wouldn't kill him, but it might just be enough to send him back in time 140 years, give or take. As the car approached, Teebs sprinted from the ditch and threw himself across the hood. A great sickening thud was heard as he slid off and hit the ground hard. For a moment, Teebs could see some light, but it faded quickly as the big man dropped into unconsciousness. Chapter 33 tiny ray of light pierced the darkness in Martin's head. As the light became brighter, he was forced to open his eyes, barely remembering what had transpired to put him in such a state. As the day's sunlight pierced his consciousness, he pried open his eyes. 
The first sight he saw were a pair of ancient leather boots, the kind favored by cowboys and horse thieves of the late 1800s. Before speaking, he let out a little groan as his body lay on the hard street. Ugh, I made it. I made it, he said as he tried to push his body up and get his legs underneath him. That was a pretty stupid stunt, hombre, you hear? The man with the boots clearly wasn't impressed. As Teebs finally opened his eyes wider, his excitement turned to disappointment as he realized the man in the boots was only a tourist. He was in exactly the same year now as he'd been five minutes ago. The tourist's pinched face and demeaning smile got under Martin's skin. A bright green t-shirt peeked out from a few undone buttons on his dirty reenactor's vest. He stood there with a large stack of papers in his hand, holding them as if they were the Holy Scripture. By this point, a small gathering of people had come to Martin's aid and tried to help him to his feet. Stop! Don't move him, came the order from someone that appeared to have some EMT training. He might have broken something. Teeps felt well enough to know he hadn't broken his neck or his back, though. I'm fine. It's just that car came out of nowhere. People drive like maniacs out here. The old woman, who first had been scared by the accident, was now mad, hopping mad. Hearing Teebs judge her driving to be maniacal was the last straw. Who are you calling a maniac, you shit for brains moron, she taunted him. You jumped in front of me. I'll give you something that'll come out of nowhere. With very adept footwork for a lady of her age, she jumped in front of the prone Teebs and kicked him squarely and solidly in the balls. Ooh, the crowd cried in surprise and sympathy as Teebs groaned, drooled, and finally passed out from the pain. Chapter 34 For the second time in as many minutes, a small tunnel of light permeated Teebs' brain, waking the man from a pain-induced slumber. At first just a pinpoint, it began to expand and demand the big man wake up from the kick to the groin that had put him under. Teebs, aware of the searing pain emanating from his testicles, worked hard to pry his eyes open. After several attempts, he got one eye open to see the same old pair of boots staring at him. Both physically and mentally damaged, he let out a groan that said both, I'm in pain and, damn, I'm still here, as he waited for the medic to revive him. Teebsy, what in the hell are you doing laying there holding your pecker? The voice did not come from any modern-day man, and when Teebs could again open both eyes, he saw a very bemused Doc Scurlock towering over him in the middle of Lincoln's main street. I'm back, Teebs said breathlessly. I made it. While Doc had designs on hacking on Teebs for a few more minutes, he decided it would be better to get him off the street. Tensions were running high between Dolan's men and the regulators after Brady's murder, and cartridges could fly at any moment. Come on, big boy. Let's get you off the street, said Doc, as he helped the big man to his feet. Still in the throes of pain from Granny Sample's kick to the cojones, Teebs hung one arm around Doc's shoulder and used his other hand to hoist his aching balls from bouncing around in his wranglers. Let's get to the store and we can figure out our next move, said Doc, as he dragged Teebs toward the portal. Just then, Rosita, holding a bucket of eggs she intended to sell, came around the corner. Instinctively, her face lit up at seeing her lover, in spite of how their last meeting ended. Martin, she exclaimed as she saw him limping toward her. As Teebs got closer, she noticed what appeared to be a vulgar gesture as he grabbed his manhood, all the while looking in her direction. Filled with rage and disgust at his display, she spat on the ground in front of him. Puerco, she yelled as she turned and stormed off. Martin, 
still barely able to breathe, sighed heavily. Don't worry none, Teebsy. Rosita'll come back as soon as you unhitch your hand from your balls, said Doc, laughing way too hard at his own joke. The two men entered the store, now filled with regulators who seemed on high alert as they held their Winchesters close and kept their eyes trained across the street toward the saloon. It was Billy who spoke first. Teebs, drop your pecker if you don't mind. Ain't nobody in the store interested. Chavez, Charlie, and French roared with laughter as Billy's face broke into a wide grin. Ain't I told you not to come back here no more, Teebs? asked Billy. It took them damn near an hour to scoop up all of Matthew's brains. Of course, I'd have figured that dumbass didn't have but a teaspoonful. Teebs looked seriously at Billy, remembering now that he was a wanted man and would more than likely hang than ever return alive to 2020. Billy, I came back because I've got to talk to you, said Teebs carefully. The regulators glanced around, but none seemed to know what was going on between the two men. I can't talk to you looking like a damn clown. Corbett, get this guy some proper clothes, if you will, commanded Billy. Sam Corbett, the shopkeeper for Tunstall's store, appeared from the back room and motioned for Teebs to follow him. Eager to get his talk with Billy over with, Teebs sighed and followed him to Tunstall's private rooms. And Corbett, burn that clown suit he's wearing, Billy added. If he don't hang for killing Matthews, they'll for sure hang him for wearing that. Once again, the regulators broke down in laughter at Martin's expense, and the final giggle swirled around the room as he disappeared. Damn sure, Billy. Dolan's got a lot of new boys over there. Where are they all coming from? asked diminutive Charlie Bowdry. Hell if I know, replied Billy, but most of them probably don't know which end of Sam Colt to hold on to, so I wouldn't worry much if I was you, Charlie. Bowdry gave a small nod to Billy. Although with the group at the saloon swelling to what looked like thirty or more Dolan men, he wasn't sure he believed him. Let him come, growled French. The faster they come, the faster they die. Billy pasted a dissatisfied smile on his face at the comment as Doc slowly craned his head from the window. We might could use some reinforcements of our own, Billy. Just then, with the clap of boots on a wood floor, Martin Teebs walked back into the room. Dressed in a black frock coat, Black trousers, a white bib shirt, and deep maroon vest, he looked the very essence of a Lincoln County badman. Teebs awkwardly adjusted his hat on his head and fidgeted with the Winchester in his left hand. On his right hip, he wore a 73 Colt single-action army. Billy beamed at him like a proud younger brother. Ask and you shall receive, Doc. Reinforcements have arrived. Chavez turned to Teebs' transformation and exclaimed, Damn, Teebs! Keep dressing like that and Rosita might even come back. Martin smiled an aw shucks smile and turned back to Billy. Billy, can we talk, please? He asked even more cautiously than the first time. Always in good spirits, Billy responded, Sure, what's up, Teebsy? Martin measured the young man, trying to determine if he knew what the conversation was going to be about or if he was just being his laconic self. I mean, in private, please, said Teebs as he motioned toward Tunstall's room. Billy looked blankly at his friend and then around the room at his brothers. All right, he said with as little emotion as he could muster. The two men walked toward the back of the store and then out of sight of the regulators, still on guard and still waiting for Dolan's retribution. Chapter 35 Billy sat down on a light blue stool that he figured the high-class Tunstall used to slip his boots on each morning. All right, Teebsy. Shoot, he said, staring Martin directly in his eyes. Teebs took a deep breath to gather himself before he spoke. Billy, when I was here last time, 
I lost something. Something of mine, something important, and I know you found it. You lost a girl, I saw that, but I ain't found her. Hell, she ain't even really missing, said Billy, as he suspiciously raised his eyes at Martin. That's not what I'm talking about, and you know it. I lost my book, and I want it back, demanded Teebs. Book, huh? Hey, Teebsy, did I ever tell you that when I was a kid in Silver City, I loved to read, asked Billy. Teebs, sensing a stall tactic, went right for the jugular. Damn it, Billy, that's my book. You have no right having it. You have no idea what could happen if you... Teebs was lost for words, not knowing how to portray to an 18-year-old cattle thief and gunfighter the ramifications of messing with history and with time. I sure did love to read. Got that from my mama, I'm sure, said Billy with a slight smile in remembrance of his mother settling on his face. Come on, Billy, just give me the book, please, implored Martin. Continuing to have a different conversation than the one Martin was having, Billy went on. She was a fine woman, Teebsy. She died, though. Man, I was only 14. Galloping consumption. You ever seen someone die of consumption? Martin's heart began to race faster and he seemed out of breath as the situation was slipping out of his control. No, he said, and I'm sorry about your mom, Billy, but you can't have that book. Man, Teebsy, it ain't pretty. Coughing up blood day after day. Fever that'll roast your brain every hour of every day. It was hard to watch. If there was some way that I could have known my mom was going to get sick, I'd have done everything in my power to stop it, you know? Billy looked directly at Teebs. Anything at all, my friend. But how could somebody know something like that before it ever happened, right? Exasperated, Martin appealed with the only bargaining chip he had left. Look, Billy, just give me the book. I'll stay here. I'll fight with you. Hell, I'll even die with you. But I just need to have that book back. Billy looked past Martin as if searching for some long-lost memory. I sure did love to do me some reading back in silver. When this thing's all over, I think I'm going to sit right down and do me some more, Teebs. With that, Billy rose from the stool and clapped Martin on the shoulder. Looking good, hombre. Like a natural-born killer. Let's go on up front and see about all that fighting and dying stuff he was talking about. Martin, thoroughly defeated, let his eyes gaze upon the floor. The young outlaw walked out of the room, and moments later, his much older friend followed him into history and into eternity. Chapter 36 Billy and Teebs re-entered the Tunstall store's main room to find it deserted, except for Sam Corbett, who still insisted on getting dressed in his storekeeper's clothing every day even though the store had long since ceased to be open to the public. The last customer through the door was the one seeing John Tunstall's body being brought in after his murder weeks ago. Teebs and Billy looked at each other questioningly and then spied movement on the porch. Seeing the men had taken up posts outside meant either a fight was about to break out or there was no chance of one. Either way, Billy wanted to be part of the action. Let's see what them fellows are doing out there, Teebs, he drawled the young outlaw. Stepping onto the porch into brilliant sunshine, Billy scanned the street, seeing a growing mob of Dolan's men spilling out of the saloon. What's going on, Doc? asked Billy. You think they's getting ready to start something? Nah. They was going to do something, they'd have done it by now. They're just belly aching is all, replied the older man. French took his time to purposely load his Winchester in front of Dolan's boys, slowly sliding each round into the carbine while giving them a satisfied look as if he had a name and face picked out for each bullet. Not to be outdone, 
Several of Dolan's men drew their revolvers, opened the loading gate, and spun the cylinders as if to check if they were fully loaded. Neither side seemed itching for a fight, however, and both bands of men resembled nothing if not two peacocks preening on the dusty street. Amid the general clicking and occasional insult, Charlie was the first to voice his concern. Damn, Billy. Dolan sure got a lot of boys these days. Scanning the horde, Billy clucked his tongue in assent. Sure does. I wonder where they're all coming from. Some of them I had never seen around these parts before. Silent until now, Teebs took a closer look at the mob of heavily armed men. Exiting the saloon, one man looked conspicuously out of place, hurriedly buttoning his shirt. Before he could finish the job, Teebs was shocked to see a bright green t-shirt with the words New Jersey emblazoned upon it underneath. Teebs' jaw dropped and his eyes went wide, realizing he was not the only inhabitant of the future in Lincoln, New Mexico. What? Teebs said incredulously to no one in particular. The man, finally suited for battle, cast a glance across the street to the Tunstall store and locked gazes with Martin. His narrow face pinched up like a snake that might strike. Martin quickly looked away as if to regain his composure. What's the matter, Teebsy? asked Billy. You look like you've seen a ghost or something. Martin nervously looked around, trying to distract the regulators from seeing what he saw. They all slowly turned their head toward him, waiting for him to speak. Um, nothing. It's nothing, Martin replied. Just feeling queasy, probably from that kick to the nuts. Billy and Doc locked glances, both with the same question in mind. Kick to the nuts? What in the hell are you talking about? Who kicked you in the nuts? Martin exhaled mightily, realizing that the kick happened in 2020, and even Doc wouldn't have known it. You know what, guys? Forget it. I was joking. Doc shook his head while Chavez and French gave Martin a look that you might to a crazy person, just before they were carted off to the asylum. I just need some air, that's all, said Teebs. I'm just going to walk around back. With Dolan's men threatening, Billy decided to let Teebs go, focusing his attention on the growing concern across the street. Martin, his new clothes and his guns, walked around the corner of the Tunstall store and out of sight. Chapter 37 Teebs crunched through the dry grass along Bonita Creek, searching. His mission on this trip back in time was twofold. First, he had to get his book back to keep Billy from using the information in it to change history. Failing miserably, he held out hope that his friendship with the kid might allow him to get close enough to figure out where it was and then to take it back to its rightful place in time. Priority, too, was something completely different. He had to find Rosita. Unless hers was to be an immaculate conception, Teebs had to assume that they met at least one more time since he couldn't remember a time when they had been intimate. More than that, the woman seemed to truly love him, and he also had to assume that he loved her in some strange way. That feeling left him warm and cold at the same time, since he was legally and mostly happily married to Lily, the same Lily who would surely leave him or have him committed if she knew he was a murderer, adulterer, and time traveler. Martin contemplated these various vocations as he walked in vain toward the east, hoping to come across Rosita or someone that could point him in her direction. As a murderer, Martin was batting a thousand, Hall of Fame numbers, one shot, one kill, and a lawman to boot. Of all the things he tried in life, murder seemed to be the thing he was most successful at. He certainly couldn't say the same for his job at the ad agency. He also seemed to have a knack for adultery, 
how Martin Teebs, he of the half gallon of ice cream eating fame, could possibly have the most beautiful woman in the territory fall in love with him seemed impossible. But strange as it seemed, the pictures in the Patron house undeniably showed that Rosita did have a baby boy named Martin Jr. and that he was named after the father. So while Martin and Lily's romance had long since grown tepid, it appeared that he still had bullets in the gun when the time to shoot came. When it came to time travel, the real hapless Martin Teebs appeared, castigating himself for losing the book, then reasoning that it was the book or his life, Martin realized that as a time traveler, he made a pretty good quality control manager at an ad agency. Well, two out of three ain't bad, he murmured to himself as he crunched along the dry grass. While Lincoln was built along only one main street, there were a number of alleyways leading to small huts, stables, and barns. About to give up, and afraid of being shot by Dolan's men while out here alone, Teebs rounded a corner from behind a barn. On either side of the small strip of dirt, just off the main road, there were two adobe huts that had seen many better days. Hearing a door swing open, Martin was shocked and pleased to see the very beautiful Rosita Luna step out, carrying a basket of laundry. Rosita, Martin cried as he stepped into the street. The woman craned her neck to see it had been hiding down near the creek. With his black clothes, guns, and boots, Rosita didn't recognize him at first. Teebs scurried closer as she tried to match the well-known voice with the new image of the man in front of her. Martine, she asked cautiously. Teebs ran up to her, about to throw his arms around her as she dropped the basket of laundry in the street to stop him. Oh, Rosita, I found you, Teebs breathed heavily. I'm so glad I found you. The shock of seeing Martin looking like he actually belonged in Lincoln over, she seethed at the memory of their last meeting. Who dressed you? Your wife? She nearly spat the words at him. I want to explain that, Rosita, please, Martin implored. Now angry, Rosita's voice raised in pitch and volume. Explain? Go ahead, Martin, explain. Teebs fumbled for words. Well... I explain how it is you go from here for weeks, no, months at a time, Martin. Explain how you never tell me where you go or when you'll be back, Martin. Explain how you expect me each time to take you back. No questions asked, Martin. Rosita's voice grew angrier as she delivered the last salvo. And when you do return, you tell me you have a wife, esposa? Can you explain that, Martin? Teeb stood in the middle of the street, punch drunk from the verbal beating. He wanted nothing more than to melt into Rosita's arms and have everything be okay. Standing there with her breasts heaving, her raven hair blowing lightly in the breeze, and her arms crossed in challenge, he knew his chances were running out. Finally, he spoke. I can't explain everything, Rosita. Not right now, anyway. Rosita sneered at him and raised her chin defiantly. But, he continued, I do know we belong together. I've seen it. I'm sure of it. I wouldn't be so sure of that, Pobrecito, was her reply, dripping with sarcasm. Martin took a chance and reached out to grab her hand as he spoke. It's true, Rosita. I belong to you, and you belong to me. Rosita's internal fortress crumbled as Martin's words unlocked the feelings she had for him. She crumbled into his arms, sobbing wildly. Oh, mi amor, please don't leave me again. Martin held her tightly, knowing it was a promise he could not make. Not now, anyway. I can't promise that now, Rosita. There are men after me. I can't risk them hurting you. I promise I will come back. 
Rosita buried her face into Martin's chest. She felt so small and slight in his arms, as if a stiff wind might blow her away. He reached down and raised her chin and they kissed, lightly at first and then more deeply. Her eyes shining through the tears, she said, You promise, yes? With a slight nod of his head and a smile spreading across his face, he simply mouthed the word yes back at her. Rosita wiped the tears from her eyes and whisked the hair from her face. Suddenly in control again, she smiled strongly at Martin. Come, Mia Moore, you must be hungry. I shall cook for you. For a moment, Martin felt the most whole, the most complete that he'd ever felt in his life and smiled back at the woman he must surely love. Only a commotion from the main street snapped the two lovers from their spell. Coming towards them was most of the Dolan gang, led by Sheriff George Pepin. They were obviously drunk and probably dangerous. The thought crossed Martin's mind that he was good at two of three things, and killing was one of them. He wondered if he was going to have to use his newfound skill again, sooner than expected. Chapter 38 Dolan's men sat around the saloon bitching and complaining. With Brady dead, George Pepin had been appointed sheriff of Lincoln County. Pepin hadn't shown much interest in going after the regulators, as Tunstall's hired thugs had come to call themselves, and the men were growing antsy. Beaver Smith was not long for Lincoln, having just secured a new building in the tiny hamlet of Fort Sumner. But on this day, he did his best to sling as much whiskey as the boys would drink, hoping that it would keep a fight from breaking out. Smith, growled a narrow-faced man, more whiskey for all of them. I want to make a toast. The man waved his hand across the crowd for emphasis as Smith complied with the order. First sitting, and then standing on a bar stool, the man, whom no one seemed to know or remember, barked at the top of his lungs. Here's to that lousy Englishman Tunstall. May he rest in misery. The men's heads shot around at the mention of Tunstall, and a few began to cheer. Cast him to history and cast him to hell, the man continued as Dolan's mob began to support the message being delivered by the mystery man. Pepin stepped up to the bar to grab another shot, sitting down near the door. His look at the stranger conveyed confusion and amusement at the same time. You know what I call one dead Englishman, the stranger roared. What? came the resounding reply from all in attendance. A pretty good start, shouted the man as Dolan's group exploded in cheers and laughter. Come, boys, these streets are ours. Let's show those regulators what a bunch of real men look like, concluded the man as he hopped off the stool and walked toward the exit. Howdy, stranger, said Pepin as the man approached him. I don't think I've ever seen you around these parts. Where'd you come from? Carl Farber smiled knowingly at the sheriff and replied matter-of-factly, Friend, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. Chapter 39 The noisy gaggle of drunken men approached Rosita's home as Martin eyed them, deciding on his next move. Come on, Rosita, let's go inside, he said, gathering up the laundry basket. They're just drunk. Rosita walked toward the door as Martin shuffled backwards, never taking his eyes off the mob. Suddenly, one of them shouted out, There he is! He killed Matthews! Son of a bitch! Martin pressed back further with his Winchester at the ready. Blew his damn brains out! shouted another. Rosita quickly walked inside the house and tugged Martin's arm to come with her. You gonna let your girl fight for you, Yella? screamed a voice from the back of the crowd. Martin, please come in now, cried Rosita, tugging harder on his arm. Please. 
Teebs took one step back and caught his boot heel on the threshold. Along with Rosita's pulling, he fell back and hit his head hard on the adobe wall. Pitching forward to his knees, he heard Rosita screaming his name as his Winchester fell in the dirt and his vision went blank. Dolan's men, too drunk to even understand what happened, ambled around for a bit and began to walk off. One or two of them fell over in a drunken stupor. One narrow-faced man walked closer and closer to Rosita's house, intrigued with her and the man she had been with. Her eyes filled with tears and wide with fear. Rosita quickly grabbed the Winchester from where Martin had been only a moment before. She backed inside her hut and barred the door closed. Carl Farber stopped in his tracks, not wanting to risk getting shot. As he turned back to Dolan's men, he saw only Pepin still standing there, incredulous at what he'd just seen. You see that? Farber inquired of the sheriff. Pepin looked confused, maybe even a little scared. What the hell? He mused as he stared at the patch of dirt where Martin Teebs used to be. You asked where I'm from, said Farber through a crooked grin. I'm from where he's from, he said with a satisfying smile, while pointing his thumb to a now vacant spot that was once occupied by Martin Henry Teebs. Chapter 40 A searing pain shot through Martin's head as a red light started to cut through the blackness. He threw his arms out in front of him and shouted, Rosita! Rosita! As his vision returned, he scrambled wildly around for his guns, none of which could be found. In a panic, he jumped to his feet, still barely able to see. Expecting to be attacked by Dolan's rowdies at any minute, he instead heard children's laughter behind him. He whirled around to see two very modern boys playing with a very modern soccer ball. No, he sniffed. No, no, no. Realizing the knock on the head had taken him back to modern day, Martin felt the pit of his stomach dropping. Oh, Rosita, he said through gasping breaths. Tourists walked by the big man who seemed to have been crying. They imagined in his 1878-era clothes, he was probably a living history reenactor and was putting on some sort of show. A few pointed, one or two laughed, and a group of Japanese tourists took his picture. Just across the road, Lily peered out onto the street from the main Patron house, seeing her husband flailing about, the object of unwanted tourist attention. She slowly put her bra back on and began to button her blouse as she quietly shook her head and a shadowy figure behind her scurried out of the room.